Coming at you live from the KTSW studios in San Marcos, Texas, this is Bobcat Radio. Good morning, Bobcat and Rattler fans, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of Bobcat Radio. Wait for the music. All right, here we go. <laughs> and uh, my name is Gage Sutton. I'm here with uh, Jude McLaren, Ethan Hamilton, and Courtney Abraham. We got a pretty good group of guys in here for the studio today, and we got a lot to talk about, guys. We got some Texas State men's and women's basketball, and we have an interview with Texas State beat reporter Kef Chardello to talk about Texas State football offseason. So I guess let's get right into it, guys. The men's basketball team for Texas State won their matchup last night against Corpus Christi A&M, 51-46 victory after suffering back-to-back losses against UT and Our Lady of the Lake University. Uh, junior guard Caleb Asbury, who started in place of Marlon Davis for the first time this season, had the, had the game-high 15 points for the Bobcats. So I guess kind of to start it off, Ethan, what were your thoughts on this game? What did you see from the Bobcats? I mean, early on, it was a slow start from the Bobcats. They weren't shooting pretty well from the three-point line. They were only one for five in the first half. They were down 11-2. to two. They really, they kind of got punched in the mouth, to be quite honest. And that was kind of disappointing to see early on, especially from their um, collapse against um, Our Lady of the Lake University this past weekend. But in the second half and towards the end of the first half, they kind of they got back into the groove. They were able to get into their offensive sets. Isaiah Small played a lot better. He had 11 rebounds um, in the game. And Marlon, uh, Mason Harrell, my mistake, Mason Harrell is the, the only starter in six games this season to score double-digit points. So he's been doing pretty well carrying that offensive load. Yeah. Or, early on yeah Mason Harrell's been really good for the Bobcats so far and like I said Caleb Asbury who started his first game this season came off and scored 15 points which was really big for them and you know this Bobcat team has been kind of inconsistent we saw it really early on in the season uh, when they took on uh, Mississippi State we saw them play really good in the first in the first half and then they kind of fell apart in the second half and you know obviously the UT game and uh, the Mississippi State game, th- those are kind of the two best teams that they played all season so far. And, you know, we saw those glimpses of greatness, but, I mean, you know, I, I still feel like they're missing something. Ethan, w- what do you think that is? Um, they, I think it's size, to be quite honest. They really struggled with the size of Mississippi State and then the long fours of UT Austin. And whenever you're, um, your outside shooting is not going down, you have to kind of get those easy buckets and points off of turnovers, and they weren't able to do that. Yeah, I think they only hit or they hit only two three pointers last night in their win against Corpus Christi A and M. So, uh, I guess Jude to kind of move on with the conversation about Texas State men's basketball, they're now going to get ready for the Denver uh, Classic this weekend. Uh, so, how big do you think it would be for the Bobcats to pick up some wins in this Invitational before they start conference play on the first of January? Well, it's going to be huge, Gage, because. You've got some teams in in Denver University, which while a lot of people, when you look at that name, you might not think that that they're that much, but they are, you know, a good team in their conference. They're consistently usually one of the top teams there. They've made it to the tournament a couple times. So just just because you see the university and it doesn't have a lot of name recognition and they're one and three on the season doesn't mean it's just going to be an easy win. We saw that with Our Lady of the Lake, right? I mean, that was one of the probably, to be frank, 
one of the more embarrassing losses in, in, in program history. And then on top of that, after that, you've got Northern Arizona. So these are two games that the Bobcats can feel like going into that, that they should win. They should feel like they have more talent. They should win both of these games. And these are crucial because after you have a tough loss like Our Lady of the Lake, and you got to remember that while I did just say that it, it may feel like an embarrassing loss for the program, this is also a team that's trying to find its identity. And then at the same time, they're really trying to find a leader after you lose arguably and you could even say it's there's not even an argument your best player of all time in Nigel Pearson and once again these games are just so crucial and they should have opportunities to win these games because they're the last two between before Sunbelt Conference plays so I mean they're really going to need to go 2-0 and in these games because there are going to be a lot of teams um, in the Sunbelt that are better than all of the teams they've beaten this year yeah I think so too Jude and I'm glad you brought up Nigel Pearson because you know, obviously losing a player of that caliber is, isn't really easy for any program. And, you know, especially with everything that went on in the offseason with the coaching change. And coach- I didn't even mention that. That's, yeah. that's a lot that they had to deal with, too. And, you know, that's the one thing I will say about this team so far is that it does look like they're rallying around Coach TJ. And, you know, they're going to be those rough, you know, bumps in the road that you're, you're going to find when you lose your best player and when you lose your coach who basically brought you to one of the best starts that the school has seen. Uh so I guess, Ethan, I know you had something else to say. Yeah, I mean, in the Our Lady of the Late game, they've re- really, really struggled breaking the press. And you uh, you can see that um, they also weren't able to score off turnovers as well. Um, this past game, they did a lot better. Um, Corpus Christi had 16 turnovers, and the Bobcats were able to score 22 points off of that. So if uh, in these upcoming games against Denver, if they're able to capitalize that of those easy buckets in transition, then that will help, especially with their lack of three-point shooting. And while that loss to Our Lady of the Lake may have been super tough, to come back and bounce back and beat a team like Texas A&M Corpus Christi in the second time you've played them in the year, and as you can see, it was a much closer game, and that usually happens. It's really hard to beat a team twice in, in the matter of just a couple of weeks. So for them to bounce back and get that win was huge. I know that there was that that dagger on the Texas State men's basketball Twitter page that Mason Harrell hit. He's really done a great job just being a team leader this year on the floor and 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 even off whenever it comes to just his leadership style. Maybe that's somebody that could kind of take that mold as the leader of this team, as the point guard. And, you know, when you see him at that Texas game, just going toe-to-toe with some of those guys at Texas like Greg Brown that are 6'10", and he's 5'9", you know, that's got to fire up your team for sure. And I just want to give a quick shout-out to Nigel Caesar. Coming off the bench, 10 points on 4 or 5 of shooting was great for them this past game. Yeah, Nigel Caesar has been one of the highlights so far for the Bobcats. And, you know, another guy who I want to see take another big step moving into the rest of the season is Alonzo Sule. You know, there was a lot of hype around him coming in from last season. And I'm not going to say he hasn't lived up to those expectations, but I do expect a little bit more out of him. He's such an athletic and such a talented player that, you know, I think he really could be a matchup nightmare for a lot of these other teams if he really does put it all together. And this kind of goes back to what Ethan was saying earlier. They really need help on the bigs. They need that size. And while Alonzo Sule isn't the biggest guy on the floor, he's still 6'7". And with the physicality that he has, he can definitely kind of turn into that role and really help the Bobcats on the boards and in the paint. Absolutely, Jude. Well, now to move on to Texas State women's basketball. Uh, The team was in action or the team is in action tonight, actually, against Corpus Christi Islanders, and they're coming off a tough loss against Oklahoma on Sunday. Only six players were active for the Sooners, but regardless, the Sooners were able to beat the Bobcats and not only beat them, but in convincing fashion with basically beating them on every statistic on the score sheet. So, Jude, in that game against Oklahoma, 
What did you see, and do you think there's cause for concern moving forward? I don't think there's cause for concern. I know that when you look at the roster numbers and you're like, okay, they only had six people, a lot of those were starters, to be fair. So a lot of their best players were playing. But then also you got to remember that this is a championship program. Oklahoma's coach, she's gone to multiple Final Fours. She's won national championships. So while, yes, it's like, oh, they only had six players, you got to also remember that this is a championship program. It's a Big 12 school. So I don't think this is a cause for concern. And another thing is Denasia Hood went two for 11 from three. When she goes seven for 11 from three, like she does a lot of times, then the scoreboard would have looked a lot better. So, you know, Denasia Hood is really going to make this team go. And with her consistency at the three-point line, that's going to be huge for this team getting Ws or Ls. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the three-point shooting because that was going to be the one thing that I say, you know, as a whole in the Sun Belt, I don't see this team being as bad as they were predicted to be in the offseason. Um, but there is cause for concern, at least in my eyes, with the three-point shooting. Because in this last game against Oklahoma, they shot two for 21. And, you know, Denasia Hood, who we talked about being a first-team all-sunbelt player, she scored 18, but she was 7 of 22 from the field, 1 of 11 from three-point uh, range. And, you know, it's just you, you kind of need those shots to kind of get your team going sometimes. And I feel like they've been missing that scoring a little bit, at least from my point of view. But... Ethan, what do you think? I think a guard like Kennedy Taylor can really take the load off of her, especially from that outside shooting, because you don't really want a forward, your forward to be taking all those three-point shots especially. So if they're, if Kennedy Taylor is able to run the offense like I know she can and let Denasia Hood play out of the post and let the wing players make run, uh, backdoor cuts to the basket, they're going to be able to get a lot of easy points. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. But on the other side of it, we'll be talking to Texas State beat reporter Kef Shardello about Texas State football and much more. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Bobcat Radio on KTSW 89.9. This is Chris Summer from KRLD Radio in Dallas-Fort Worth. You're listening to Bobcat Radio. And welcome back to Bobcat Radio right here on KTSW 89.9. I'm your host, Gage Sutton, here with Jude McLaren, Ethan Hamilton, and Courtney Abraham into the studio Right now, on the other side, we have the newly engaged Kev Shardello. Kev, how are you feeling right now, man? Hey, I'm doing pretty well on my end. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course, Kev. And, you know, we wanted to bring you on because today's a pretty big day. It's uh, National Signing Day, and we're getting really close to seeing a lot of these guys, uh, new recruits coming in for Texas State. So I guess to kind of get us started, how active would you say Texas State has been in the recruiting process so far? Oh, you know, to put it frank not very active at all it's actually been a, a kind of a lackluster signing day you know it was kind of expected that it wouldn't be going to be a ton of people today because the NCAA separated it out a few years back where it's two signing days now one in December and then another one in February so they'll, they'll still have time to get more between then and now but so far they've only officially announced two Eric Sutton a grad transfer from SMU and Charles Fletcher a grad transfer from um, uh, North Carolina State. Uh, they may, they should give him a third one. He's a JUCO guy at an Independence Community College. His name is Deontay Washington. He'll probably end up signing, but that that'll probably be it for the Bobcats today. Just those three. And I mean, I'll, you know, with the NCAA also allowing teams to return seniors, it was kind of open year for eligibility due to COVID and all of that. It, it kind of uh, the numbers are going to be not as high probably like when it's all said and done in February they're probably looking at 10 to 15 I don't know that exact number but it won't usually they get an allotted 25 spots they can fill but it's a different year different time going uh, this time but 
Yeah, so far, uh, not very many today. You know, some good players they got, though, got some help on the offensive line, which they're in desperate need of. They went out and got Eric Sutton. Um, lots of injuries at DB this season, plus the passing in Canberra winners who plays that position at corner. So, the, you know, they needed to fill that spot. Um, their biggest needs are on, on both sides of the line, and, and they got one of each once they officially signed Deontay Washington. But all in all, really not a, a, a very big signing day for Texas State. Not not too much going on. Kev, it's Ethan here. Um, should Bobcat fans be concerned with the, the team's effort to sign more players during signing day, especially with the increase of like returning players entering the transfer portal? You know, I, I don't, I don't want to be chicken little about it, but it, it is somewhat concerning that it's not a, a more players today. And it hasn't been a more aggressive push considering they've spavit all and this coaching staff has gone five and 18 the last two years. You think they would be really on the trail trying to bring in some guys and, you know, you, you see offers going out to some players. Um, you know, you, you see that they have interest. There's a the Louisiana Monroe offensive lineman. His name is Samuel Williams. He's looking to grad transfer out of Texas State after him. There's another guy in Hawaii, offensive lineman they're trying to get. Um, but it's really – you would think that they would be more aggressive in trying to get some of these guys. And this kind of happened last year where all throughout the regular season they had one commit. The, the entire season before a big push at the end of the season. Now at the end of this current season, at the end of the 2020, they didn't pay zero commits. They finally got Charles Fletcher from North Carolina State, um, and, then they, and then they got Sutton and, and Washington last week, so they finally started to get those commits. But it wasn't, it wasn't the wave that we saw last year when, when the season ended, okay, let's go get a bunch of these JUCO and grad transfer guys. Um, and so it, it's just, and maybe there's a lot of players sitting around waiting until February, waiting to see how the, if the climate changes with, with everything that's going on. But, um, it, it, it should be a little concerning for sure. But I mean, you know, it, it's, 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 it's weird times for recruiting. So I'll kind of, I'm, I'm being tentative about getting too upset about it, but I mean, you know, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, I guess that was going to be the next question I asked you, Kef, is, you know, I guess there is cause for concern, but I guess I wanted to see from your standpoint, how much do you think COVID has affected the team and the recruiting process and, you know, maybe not being able to get out to see these guys perform in person like they normally would in a non-COVID season? Yeah, you know, that, that factors into it somewhat, but that also factors into it to all the other schools out there who are bringing in players who were still able to evaluate and, and find some of these guys. And it just, it's, it seems like this staff is, they're really, we saw it last year with the players they signed. They're really going hard after the junior college and the four year college transfer type players, guys who have experience and kind of plug and play and they're ready to go. Um, but the only issue with that is, is, is they don't have a ton of eligibility. They're still not really going hard after these high school recruits that you bring in and you develop and you get four years of eligibility with. Like as nice as it is that they sign Eric Sutton, the corner at SMU, he only has one year to play. He gets one season. So, I mean, and, and they kind of got lucky with the NCAA allowing them to 
prolong some of these other players' eligibility, especially with Braden Stringer and Christian Taylor, two guys who came in from Texas Tech, started at linebacker. They were only supposed to play one year, but they're going to be back next year. And, you know, that that really helps out Texas State. Um, but they keep getting these, these Band-Aids when it's a big wound that needs surgery, mm. you know, and they need to get – they need to, to – a lot more needs to be done than just – getting these JUCO guys in for two years or getting these grad transfer guys in for one year and then and then their eligibility is gone. And then even if you do bring in some of these JUCO guys, we saw with Grid Isidore and, and, and Derek Ray, two guys that they signed last spring out of JUCO, and now they're already gone. They entered the transfer portal. So, I mean, it's not even a given that they're, that they're going to stay the short amount of time that they signed up for. So, I mean... It's it's a tricky deal. It's it's a tricky um, pattern they're going. I I I thought I was going to see more high school recruits after what they did last year. They go okay, go get a bunch of guys who can play now and then start building for the future. But it looks like they're doing the same thing, just more grad transfers and, and JUCO guys. And hey, Kev Jude here. So uh, you mentioned earlier how there are you know there is that one more signing day that we do have in February where we could maybe see a little bit more from Texas State. Um, obviously, this may not happen depending on what Texas State does because you're saying, like you just said, it seemed like they are getting out a lot, of, getting a lot of experience, but then we saw that they were just not going to build for the future this year and still kind of going that same route. Um, but what is one position group that you feel like they should really focus in on and, and is the biggest need for this team going into February signing day? Mm, uh, offensive line. You know, it's almost a tie for me with the offensive and defensive line, but I would say offensive line more because the D-line still has dudes like Savion Patton and Nico Ezador. Of course, we saw Ezador this year. He played so well. He's he's pretty good. Um, and a young guy, Jordan Revels, too. He was really starting to get in there. Savion Patton, he was out all year with a, with a disc issue in his back, um, but he'll be back next year. It's probably their best D-lineman. So I'm not too worried about the D-line as much as the O-line. I, I think they need more depth. They need guys behind the three I just named. But the offensive line, I just feel it, it, it needs a little bit of an overhaul. you got some guys like Dalton Cooper, young guy who play, started playing pretty well last year. Um, you know, Russell Baker came in. He was a Juco guy. But they just need more to supplement that. And I think it'll help that there's Silas Robinson. He came in. He transferred in last year from Arkansas, but he had to sit out due to those transfer rules. Um, so he'll be another good addition for that O-line. Um, we'll see what Charles Fletcher does. The guy they signed today, he played something like 10 total snaps in North Carolina State in three years. So, I mean, say what you will about that. We'll, we'll, it's hard to tell how, how good he is, but um, it's good to get more depth there. But I really felt that was the issue for both McBride and Vitt is they never had time. They didn't really have much blocking um, I think it, it will even help the running game. They have three solid running backs. So I think protecting the offensive weapons they have, they've got skill guys at receiver, you know, I mean, they've, they're all good on offense, except that, that other line. And I think if you really beef it up and go get some P five guys or, or some, just some big dudes, not even P five, bigger G five schools, a lot of guys transferring. I can't think of his name, but there's a big guy out of Hawaii that they're really that they're trying to get, um, and he's pretty close. I've seen him tweet a couple times about Texas State. So, but offensive line, yeah, they need because they, that was the biggest thing I've ever seen against BYU. When how much bigger their O line was compared to Texas State's, and it's it's just there's a ways to go there. 
Well, speaking about like the biggest group that they need most improving on, you mentioned the wide receiving group. It's, and uh, this offseason, they did lose Jamari Sharid to the transfer portal. And Jeremiah Haydell, the stud punt returner and kickoff returner, he's going to enter the draft. Could you see that this upcoming season, their greatest strength in being the skill positions become their greatest weakness? No, actually, I you know I, I don't think they'll skip a beat at receiver. As and that's all due all due respect to Haydell and Sharif. They're both terrific players, and they added so much to the offense this season. But I think they're just so stacked at receiver that that went into Haydell's decision into the draft and also Sharif's decision to transfer. They have so many players there. I mean, we saw what Marcel Barbie did last year. Um, they still got a guy who didn't get a ton of time, who was Drew Jackson, but when he did get time, made the most of it. You got Javin Banks, who was making big plays. You got Chandler Spates, who's pretty clutch in the slot. Um, they're moving Blake Aragon out at receiver. They still have Jacoby Hopkins there, too. I mean, these are all guys that, that I, I really trust. And I even mentioned Jacob Horn, who didn't play mm-hmm. at all last year because he was a true freshman. Yeah. So they just decided to redshirt him. His dad's Joe Horn used to be a receiver for the Saints, um, <laughs> and he's you know, they, they're stacked at receiver. Honestly, I, I'm I'm pretty confident there. It's a shame to lose guys like Haydell and, and Sharid. You know, I thought Sharid might have been a little underutilized here. Really, I mean, he was might might be the fastest guy on this team, or was the fastest guy on this team. And so, no, I, I don't I don't think they'll skip a beat there. You're listening to Bobcat Radio here on KTSW 89.9. And right now on the line, we have Kev Shardello. And Kev, we want to thank you for joining the show. And before we let you go, we got one more question for you from Jude McLaren. Yeah, so I'm glad that you mentioned Jacob Horn. I got a two-part question for you. So one, Jacob Horn is one of the few guys that I was super intrigued by because he was committed to Ole Miss with Jacob Peeler before he ended up following Jacob Peeler to Texas State. So it's not often that Texas State gets an SEC recruit, right? But then the second part of the question I got, which is a little bit off topic, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the G5 in the playoff rankings and how Florida only got moved down one spot after losing to historically the worst defense in LSU history. <laughs> oh, gosh. I want to I I jump on the second part right away, but let's, let's go to <laughs> Jacob Horn first. Gotcha. Yeah, Jacob Horn, that was really interesting. When Peeler came, Horn followed him from Ole Miss to, to Texas State. Uh, and I mean, I remember watching him in like fall camp is when I really saw more of him because you know he they eventually relegated him to scout team. But in in fall camp, he just he didn't look like a freshman. I mean, he just thick kid. I kept I kept being like, who's nineteen? I looked at my roster, like, oh yeah, that's a true freshman. And he looks he looks really good. And I really think it goes back to what I was saying before. It's just so deep at that position that they're just like, okay, no no point in really getting them in there too much. I think he had one catch this year. I can't. I have to look at the stats, but I'm pretty excited about Jacob Horn. Um, and you know, his brother, um, what Horn from South Carolina, the corner who's really good. I can't think of his first name. Yeah. Um, JC Horn is his brother. Yeah. Whoa. I did not know that. That's his brother. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, they've, they've got quite the pedigree. So I'm pretty excited about Jacob Horn and yeah, the college football playoff rankings. I mean, Oh, just outrageous. I mean, why even why even play the games? You know, I mean, <laughs> no. it's just Iowa like, State's it, at six. I don't mean to interrupt you, but did Louisiana no. not beat that team thirty-one to fourteen in Ames, and then Coastal Carolina beat that Louisiana team? And they're eleven and zero, the only eleven zero team in the country. It's crazy. It's you know, it, it's <laughs> it goes to show you that that 
There really is two conferences, and they just won't admit it. There is there is a P5 and a G5, and they don't want to let the G5s in. I mean, what more does did the Sun Belt have to do than beating Big 12 teams and and, and handling BYU the way Coastal on did? two days' I notice? Mean, <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay, and, and let's talk about that too. I mean, the gumption to take on that game days before you're undefeated. You're looking at your uh, at an amazing season, and you could just coast and keep beating these Sun Belt teams, or and take that postponement that weekend. But what do they do? They go schedule an undefeated BYU team, and then they take them down. I mean, how does that not get you into the college football playoffs? It's it's madness. Yeah, <laughs> it's really it's it's it's. I love college football, but it really is the way they decide a quote unquote national champion. It's shameful. It's shameful. Because <laughs> it's not even about who's the best team; it's about who wins in the playoffs and who 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 is who is the toughest team there. Not the quote unquote best team. There is no best team. They're all really good. Yeah, it's and, who wins the game. You know, I, man, I'm glad we got to end on that because I think you gave us all a really good insight on on that. And definitely a conversation that we'll probably have to have with you <laughs> later in the semester as well. Uh, but Kef, we want to thank you because we're running out of time here, but we want to say thank you for joining the show and, uh, you know, good luck, um, moving forward and we'll be talking to you here pretty soon. Hey, thanks. I love coming on let me know anytime you guys want me. Y'all have a great day. Yes, sir. Thank you, Kef. You thank too, you. Kef. Bye. All right, guys, that was Kef Chardello, Texas State beat reporter. And, you know, he's, uh, he's just, he just knows he's a very knowledgeable guy on this, on the game of football. You know, I hacked your time there, Gage, and I'm sorry, but I just had <laughs> to get Kev's thoughts on that. Cause he's honestly one of the most prominent writers in, in the group of five. Can we, I think it's safe to assume that Kev might be in favor of an 18 playoff. Just like <laughs> I am. I think all of us in the studio are probably in favor of an 18 playoff, but that's something we'll probably have to get into in another Later. episode. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought and you finished say another lifetime. <laughs> in another episode of Bobcat Radio, because we're running out of time. And before we move on, I did want to cover the big news from the NBA yesterday. Giannis Antetokounmpo, superstar forward for the Milwaukee Bucks, re-signed with the team for five years, $228 million, And it was a super max contract. So... I guess this is a really big signing because he just re-signed with a small market team, and usually you don't see a big superstar like Giannis re-sign with a small market team like Milwaukee. So what does this kind of do for small market teams moving forward? I mean, it's a little bit of a shining light. So far in the last three or four years, we haven't really seen the Supermax work. We saw it work with Russ for about a year or two, and then he got traded. Paul George declined it. Kawhi declined it. A lot of players declined that Supermax deal. But kind of to, like, get on my soapbox for, like, a second, you know how cool it is to see a black Greek player in the (laughs) NBA play for Milwaukee? Like, that's just the coolest thing in the world to me. It shows, like, how global the game has gotten. I'm just so happy for that guy. And, you know, when you talk about him being from Greece, I mean, he's a guy who, who grew up in, you know, intense poverty, you know, like, didn't even have a place to live. So, when you kind of come from that place when you're Giannis, right, you come from a different country, a country that's really gone through some economic collapse in, in the past couple years. For it, it doesn't surprise me that he would be a guy to take that supermax, especially in these uncertain times that we're living in right now. For him to just, you know, take care of his brothers, take care of his mom, take care of his family. He knows that if, if he takes the supermax in Milwaukee where, where they're going to love him, I mean— and they'll love his family, and his family will be secured for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And Giannis is one of those guys that you absolutely want to root for. So we'll be 
talking a little bit more about the Bucks moving forward in our podcast and on Bobcat Radio, but now we're going to get to weather. It's time for your KTSW weather report. Oh, yeah. Hello, everyone. Good morning. This is Courtney Abraham for the weather. Okay. So today is going to be 48 degrees, a little chilly outside with the highs of 57 and lows of 30. And tomorrow you're going to look at the same, but a little warmer. The high will be 64 and the low will be 37 for tomorrow. All right. Great, Courtney. Thank you for that. And before we go real quick, we got to... We got to read this real quick. Twin Peaks Restaurant and Sports Bar is a sponsor of this broadcast of Bobcat Radio. Located on northbound frontage road of I-35 and Guadalupe Street in San Marcos, Twin Peaks has bites, wings, burgers, sandwiches, and more. Info and menu at TwinPeaksRestaurant.com. Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. And guys, we want to thank everybody for tuning in to this special episode of Bobcat Radio. We want to give a quick shout out to Kev Shardella for joining the show. And yeah, for Ethan Hamilton, Jude McLaren, Courtney Abraham, and myself, Gage Sutton, Thank you for listening to Bobcat Radio. Now, let's get you back to the other side of radio.